All right. Second Chronicles chapter seven. And I know everybody's mind went click verse 14, but no verse 11. Second Chronicles. Chapter number seven. And I want you to look at verse number 11. And when you found that, if you're physically able to stand, I'm going to ask you if you would stand in honor of God's word tonight. And uh, we'll just read a few short verses here and get right uh, into the message. Now, I want to say, too, I appreciate your patience with me. I know I preached a little bit on the long side last night. But, you know, uh, uh, I really just felt that God was moving in the service and the Lord was doing the work. And I wanted to uh, just preach as long as you were comfortable with it and let God have his way in the message. And, and I, we no more got done last night. A young man approached me and wanted to talk to pastor about getting saved. And so the word was working and it did work. And we ought to be grateful for that. Amen. Happy about that. All right. Second Chronicles 7 verse 11. Thus... Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. He prosperously effected and the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up uh, heaven that there be no rain. Or if I command uh, the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open. And mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And as for thee, if thou wilt walk before me, as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, and shalt observe my statutes and my judgments, then... Will I establish the throne of thy kingdom? Father, I pray tonight that you'd have your will and your way in this service. And Father, that our hearts uh, uh, would be open and receptive to your word tonight. So many times, Father, I, I think uh, in my own heart, I'm moved. And even as the preacher mentioned the other night, convinced about the rightness of the subject but not changed in my heart. And I want to be changed tonight, and I pray that your people might be changed, that we might not be just hearers of the Word of God, but also doers of thy Word. Now, Father, uh, may you be honored and glorified in all that's done. I pray for the anointing to preach. I pray for clarity of thought. I pray for conciseness of speech. And, Lord, we'll just give you all the praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may uh, be seated. Uh, the context here, and by the way, uh, I'd encourage you, and uh, as you read the Word of God, that you always look to the context to see what uh, the context is, because I used to tell my students at Florida Baptist College, context is 
everything. Because if you get out of context, you will come to the wrong conclusion from a passage of Scripture. And so the context here is very important, and that is that in verse 11, Solomon has just finished the house of uh, the Lord. A place that the Bible says here that God has chosen as His house. Now, before I get into my message tonight, I want to... I read verse 11 intentionally because I want to say to you tonight uh, that when we talk about revival, when we talk about the need for revival, we're directing that message directly to the local New Testament church. Amen. And not to brick and mortar, uh, not to necessarily individuals. I often hear people say, uh, let revival come and let it begin in me. And yes, that's that's accurate. But I believe that. All that is going to be done in this world at this time has been ordained to be done through the local New Testament church. Amen? I believe that. Can I get an amen there? Do you understand why I'm saying that? Because you are important to God tonight. He has chosen to use you. He has, as he said to Solomon, I've chosen this house uh, that I might dwell here. And God has chosen this place, the local New Testament church, that he might dwell here among us and that he might minister to us and in us and then through us to a lost and dying world. And so it's important that we come together as a church. I know uh, that you get good preaching. I, I said the other night, I know a good church when I see one. And I also know a church that can handle preaching because they get good preaching. And I know that's the case here. And so I understand all that. But I understand this as well, that even though you might be a good church tonight, and a lot of good things happening here, that there's much that can continue to be done constantly in our lives. Amen? That we need to continuously be growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I used to pastor in New England, and there was a radio broadcaster there, and and he would sign off by saying, grow in grace or you'll groan in disgrace. And I love that saying. And he was right because we must never, hear me now, we must never stop growing in grace. Amen. Yeah. And that's why Hebrews 6 says, let us go on unto perfection. Let's go on until we become mature Christians. And I mentioned this last night, and I, and I think it's true in many of our lives. Uh, that the older we get, we're just beginning to get a glimpse of really how to turn loose of the world and allow the Lord to minister in our lives and to be effective in our lives. And so Solomon here has finished the house of God. And the Lord says, I want you to know that I'm going to dwell there. And I want you to know tonight that God dwells here. Amen. That he has chosen to to build himself a church. He says, I will build my church. This is not the preacher's church. And by the way, let me quickly add, it's not your church. It's the Lord's church. Amen. And he wants that church to be effective uh, in reaching the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I loved it when you all read your purpose uh, the other night. 
Uh, I remember after we built our brand new auditorium, the last one in in Tampa, beautiful auditorium, seated 1,400 plus, and and I mean it's just a gorgeous auditorium. And someone said, "Where are you going to put your purpose statement? And uh, have you written a purpose statement?" And I said, "Well, I don't need to write a purpose statement." They said, "Well, everybody's writing a purpose statement." And I said, "But the deal is, God's already written mine, and He's recorded it in Matthew 28, and that is that we're to go into all the world and." Uh, Preach the gospel and reach the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not getting that done very well today. Let me just tell you that. And our churches are in attrition. One uh, third century, I said third century writers said it like this. Customs have become worldly. What if they were here today? Amen. Uh, Discipline is relaxed. The church has become like a sickly old woman incapable of standing on her feet. Rulers and ruled alike are languishing, and many among them are corrupt and covetous and greedy and hypocritical and contentious and slanders and blasphemers and libertines and spies and renegades and schismatics. Third century. He said, worthy teachers are not wanting But there are many false prophets, vain and eager, after their first seas, for whom the greatest thing in life is not the practice of piety or justice, but to strive for post and command. In other words, to have the power. He said, now the day of wrath is at hand. The punishment will be dreadful. The Lord will give unto everyone according to his works. Well, I want to tell you, it frightens me if that was the condition in the third century to think what they would write now. Amen. Think what they would say now. I've read a good bit. I'm not a big fan of Charles Hadgen's version, but I I read some documents uh, some years ago when I was preparing some lectures. And and, uh, it it is said of him uh, that toward the end of his life, he had become so very ill. And some have recorded that they even believe he died of a broken heart because of the condition of the world coming in to the church. Now, I'm going to tell you, if those guys were alive today, uh, they wouldn't believe what they see. I mean, I, can I say this without being offensive? Sometimes when I come into the church, I don't believe what I see. I don't believe what we have learned to tolerate and how we behave in the house of God and how we debate with each other and how uh, we have all kinds of contentions among uh, each other. And so tonight, I just want to talk to us about getting our own lives right with God. You see, if you get your life right and I get my life right and they get their life right, the church can become what it ought to be. And once again, we can have an old-fashioned, heaven-sent revival that will cause us to be right in the sight of God. And by the way, if we are right in the sight of God, and we're intimate with Christ like I preached about last night, everything in this direction will be all right also. Amen? And so I want to give you just a few thoughts here tonight uh, about revival. Number one, I believe that we need not uh, to accept our identification. He mentions it here. He mentions that 
Uh, he's going to dwell among them. In the Old Testament, he dwelt in the tabernacle. He dwelt in the temple. But in this day, he dwells uh, among his church. And I want to tell you, it worries me that sometimes we have forgotten who we are. That we have forgotten that this is the place that the Lord Jesus has chosen uh, to dwell in. That the Lord Jesus walked in the midst of the church. Amen. That he sang, uh, Brother Mark, in the midst of the church. And that the Lord Jesus Christ has chosen this place to be an example of Christianity. Acts eleven twenty six. They were called Christians first in Antioch. That wasn't because they just wanted to give them a brand. It was because of the way they were living their lives. Amen. And so we need to accept our identification tonight that we are God's church. And therefore, does that not place on you and me a grave and great responsibility tonight? Amen. I remember I was just a young boy. I have a brother that's one year younger than I am. And so we grew up together. And in fact, uh, last December, after 45 years of trying to win him to Christ, I finally led him to Christ last Christmas. And uh, and uh, we got to laughing at the table. He hated me up until then. But uh, the Lord just kind of opened his heart up toward me. And now we're talking a lot. And, and, uh, and I said to him uh, at the table, I said, you know, I think I know what's wrong with you. And he said, what's wrong with me? What about what's wrong with you? You know, and I said, no, I think I know what's been wrong with you all these years. And he said, well, what do you think it is? I said, because I remember when we were about six, you would have been five, that I baptized you in the tub. And I think I might have held you under too long. Amen. (laughs) And uh, and so he calls me the other day. Uh, He just uh, he was dying last year with uh, liver disease from alcohol and drugs. I led him to Christ, and and we sat there at the table and cried. And I said, now, God may do something wonderful in your life now. If he doesn't, he's going to take you home to live with him. At least you've got heaven. Well, I no more left that place than he got a liver transplant. And so he's doing really good. And he called me the other day, and he said, I need to get in church, don't I? I mean, he waited a long time for this. But I want to tell you, over the years, he said to me at the table, the one thing I could not speak against was your testimony. He said, as mad as I got that sometimes, uh, because when we were kids, my mom was bad about this. Uh, you need to be in the choir like Bruce is. And you, you need to go out on visitation like Bruce does. And it made him hate me over the years. Don't do that with your children. Amen? Don't do that with your children. But I'm just saying to you tonight, I'm glad that after all these years, he's gotten saved. And now I'm trying to steer him into the local church there where he can be baptized and begin uh, to serve the Lord. By the way, I led his wife to the Lord at the same occasion. And I want to just say to you tonight, that's the purpose of the church, winning the lost baptizing them, and then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever God has commanded them. Can can you say amen to that tonight? And listen, we've got to be right with God to affect this world in the right way. Amen? Listen, I I walked into a church a couple of years ago, and uh, as I walked into the church, there, there, weren't, there weren't a half a dozen people there, but they were fighting and bickering. I preached that morning on missions, and I was walk, as I walked back out, uh, the guy was sitting about where you're at, preacher. He yelled at me on the way back by, and he said, I don't believe a thing you just said. 
Well, that's a real joy, amen, yeah. to go into a church and get treated like that. I bet you know, singers don't get treated like that because, you know, they're celebrities. <laughs> amen. Brother Mark is a celebrity. But we preachers, we get in trouble all the time, amen. But now, but listen to me. People have a right to look at us and know that we bear in us the marks of a true child of God, Amen. They have, they have a right to look at us tonight and see that we are living what we are preaching. I say this to preachers everywhere I go, every conference I preach in. Listen, fellas, when you get up in that pulpit and you preach, you better be living what you're telling your people to do. Amen? We have an obligation to do that. And I want, my dad said to me, son, he got my brother and I together and he said, now boys, listen to me. I want to tell you something very, very important. He said, we've got a good name in town. He said, in this little town of Liberty, Indiana, total population, 1,700 people. He said, I've got a good name here. I've worked hard all my life. And people know me as a good and decent and an honest man. And so he said, you be careful how you live your lives. And you be sure that you live a good testimony and that you carry forth the name of this family. So I told you the other night how I met my wife. Wasn't that a story? And we got married and we went off to Indianapolis and we had a chance to buy a little place to live. And I needed money and I was uh, I was uh, preaching on, on staff of the church, but I was having to work part time. And so we didn't have much income. My wife started to work and then our first child came along. I mean, things just weren't very good. I went down to the bank and I said, it, uh, you know, it's like the vacuum cleaner guy comes by your house. He said, you wouldn't want to buy a vacuum cleaner, would you? I said to the, I said to the uh, president of the bank, Mr. Johnson, you wouldn't want to give me a loan, would you? And he, he looked at our income. In fact, we'd just gotten married and uh, a few months ago and he, he said, nah, son, I just don't think I can give you a loan. I just don't think it's going to work out. You're a fine young man. But he said, you just haven't been working there long enough. And you all haven't been married long enough. And he gave me all the excuses. And so I said, well, thank you, sir. I stood up. And as I stood up, he uh, very politely said, now, remind me what your name was. And I said, my name is Bruce Turner. And he said, oh, my. He said, you wouldn't be Zach Turner's boy, would you? And I said, yes, Zach is my father. He said, well, son, you should have told me that. He said, stay right back down here. He said, any boy of Zach Turner can get a loan in this bank. Amen. You know why I could get a loan in that bank? Because my father had a good name. Do you know that as I, listen to me now, as I travel around this country, it is embarrassing how often as I'm knocking on doors that I, someone says to me, yeah, I know about that church over there. Yeah, the former pastor over there ran off with some woman. Hello. I was in, I won't say what state I'm in. My wife gets on me if she hears my message. You've got to quit doing that. Somebody's going to put two and two together and figure out where you were at. You're going to be embarrassed. Well, I was in this church and, and the preacher said that we're going to be knocking some doors. Don't be surprised if someone says something pretty awful to us. And, and I said, uh, okay, what happened here? <laughs> he said, well, here's the deal. The pastor, and some lady in the church. I would never recommend the pastor and any lady in the church other than the pastor and his wife go in business together. But he went into business with a lady in the church. 
And somewhere along the line, they started making some money. And she didn't feel like she's getting her cut. And so she sued him. And in that little town, it hit the newspapers that this preacher had embezzled money from this lady. She sued him for like $35,000, ended up getting like $900. But she got a $35 million worth of damage on his reputation. Are you all hearing me Here's what I'm saying. Do you know how hard it is to knock doors in that town? It's so hard to knock doors in that town because everybody knows that story. And they think those people over there at that church, they're a bunch of kooks. Now, I'm going to say this as politely as I know I'm not. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say to you tonight that God, the world has a right to expect out of God's people that we look like and that we act like and that we think like and that we talk like, we dress like, we... We even smell like children of God. Amen. That we live up to the reputation of a child of God. Listen, we can't go out and tell the lost world that Jesus saves and that he changes your life. And that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. If it doesn't appear that we are new creatures in Christ ourselves. Amen. I want to say to you that we need tonight to accept our identification and take it very, uh, very seriously. I've passed on that same news to my children. I've told them over and over what my dad said to me. Your word is your bond. I've told them over and over. Listen, uh, suffer loss before you embarrass the church of God. Suffer loss. Do the right thing and, and maintain your testimony as a child of God. Number one, we need to accept our identification. Number two, we need to accept God's invitation for revival. Look in verse number 14. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Now listen to this. Then... Then, not until they do that, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Now, I was just kind of lectured by a preacher recently who said this is not for the New Testament. And he said, the truth is, America's done and it's doomed. Now, I want to just say something to you tonight. I think some of the most pessimistic people I know are Christians. Don't cross those arms, Mary. I already got on you once this week. I don't want to have to do it again. <laughs> Her husband's here tonight. She'll be a little bit better, I think. Amen. <laughs> oh, now the truth is known. Amen. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with us that we come to the house of God and, and, and we look so full of anger and, and, so, and so defeated and discouraged? And, and I'm going around the country and these preachers are saying, it's like, it's like the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Now, let me just be very quick to say, we are in a peck of trouble. Amen. 1.6 million babies being aborted every year. There's a, a new movie coming out called Gosnell. Anybody know the name Gosnell? Gosnell was a doctor in Pennsylvania. He's the one that developed the procedure to, 
caused the, the, the woman uh, to go into labor. They thought they were having a simple, uh, so-called simple abortion and that they, he just kind of put them to sleep and they'd wake up. But he was delivering their babies fully and then turning them around and taking a pair of scissors and snipping their spinal cord in the back of their neck so that they could not move or breathe. And they were, they were born alive and dying uh, slowly on the table. And, and, uh, and he was using it to sell drugs and he was selling body parts and he had body parts in jars. Now, I know what some of you are saying right now. I see it in your face. Do you not know there are children here? Friend, your kids, are hearing a whole lot worse than this out in public with their friends and we're afraid to talk about it in here and the problem is they don't know what the Bible says and we better help them understand what the Word of God says about these things. Amen? So the world is full of abortion, full of alcohol. Listen, frankly, we're, we're, as we stay down in Florida, we're fixing to be one of the most stoned out nations in the world. Marijuana has been legal in several states, and now I think it's 22 states where it is medically available. Now, listen, I'm, I'm not going to argue the medical issue with you, but I do. what I will argue with you is that it's not being properly taken care of and that people are going in, and it's just like the opiates and other drugs, they're getting them because their doctor wants them to be happy and keep coming in and keep paying the bill. And so we're, we now have some 20 some uh, states that have approved marijuana. I'm telling you, just listen to this forecast. It won't be another five, ten years till that'll be most of the states in our union. And everywhere I go, I'm driving down the street and I look over and somebody's smoking their pipe, you know. Uh, we did it today, didn't we, preacher? No, we didn't do it today. We saw, oh! Oh my! Hey, well, that sure did sound like a confession. <laughs> uh, boy, my wife says I'm the best at opening my mouth and inserting the foot of anyone she's ever known. But we were driving down the road, and a guy next to us in this little car driving away, smoking that big pipe. There was so much smoke coming out of that thing. I said, Preacher, make sure your window's closed. We're going to die over here, you know. It was that bad. Alcohol's ruining our homes. One of my first days on duty as a police chaplain of Tampa Police, we went out and we'd just been riding a few minutes. We came up on a, an accident where a young man and his niece were headed to a birthday party, but they'd already been drinking. And he was drinking so much that he went through the light and got T-bone from the side and it hit the young lady which was having the birthday. We helped to get her out of the car and get her on the ground there where... EMS could work with her when they arrived. I watched her do what I've seen many times because I've been a, a trauma police chaplain, which means I was the, one of the police chaplains brought into the trauma rooms. And I've seen the people who are who have severe head injuries as they begin to they begin to move into a fetal position, and you just know that you are dying. And I watched that little lady move into a fetal position and her arms and legs draw up and I watched her die there on the sidewalk all because they wanted to have a little fun celebrating and it's not usually the ones that are drinking 
so much they get it if they kill somebody else's little baby. I remember one time when I was just a young preacher there in Florida and I visited a family and I said, I've seen all your family today. I said, who is this? And there was a little boy's picture there. I said, is this a cousin or something? She said, no. She said, I'm sorry, Pastor, I should have told you. said, this was our little baby. said, a drunk hit him right out in front of the house on the bicycle and killed him. Alcohol is destroying our nation. Causes men and women to fight. Causes babies not to have the food they need and the diapers they need. Come on, somebody ought to help me here tonight. We ought to get, we ought to get just fired up about this. Amen. I'm telling you, America's in trouble when we don't know what a man is and a woman is. We're in trouble. I'm telling you, we're, we're in trouble. When, when people get mad at who gets elected and stand out, uh, in, uh under the moon and howl. Woo! I was watching those clips the other day. Anybody see that when that happened? I'm saying, what? <laughs> Did you see the protesters during the Kavanaugh thing? Yelling and screaming and spitting. I remember years ago, I was called to the, I was called to uh, the city council. Actually, it was the county board. They were entertaining a new law. That went something like this. I don't know if you have this law here. If not, I'm telling you, in this liberal state, you will eventually. It says that if someone who's a sodomite comes in and wants to play one of the instruments to be one of the full-time instrumentalists at your church, you cannot tell them no based on their sexual preference. So, I went over to the town hall uh, to the county meeting and I stood up and I told him what the Bible said and I said I'm not here to hurt anybody but I'm telling you that you will have to carry me out in handcuffs and put me in the local jail before I will allow something that God commands and, and says is an abomination someone like that to play an instrument in our church I'm walking back to my seat and the and the sodomites are spitting at me and they're yelling, shame, 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 shame. Just screaming in your ears, getting in your face and spitting upon you. Now, all of you, you're looking at me like my cows look at me when I go out to feed them. Hey, listen to me. We, we better understand We've got to have revival and have it pretty quick. Amen? Yeah. Now, God said, if my people which are called by my name shall... Humble themselves. I'm just going to tell you what I see in our churches. I just see a whole bunch of pride. Everybody jockeying for their own position. Everybody trying to be the person in the church. To have the authority. I remember when I pastored, people would come up to me and say, I just don't like the way you do things around here. And I said, I'm sorry. I, I really am. I wish I wasn't even the one to have to do it. I wish I could give it over to you. But since God's called me to do it, and God has set that order in the church, you're going to have to follow it, or you're going to have to go a mile or two down the road and start your own church. Amen. Amen. But I want to tell you, we've got to have unity in this place. Amen. Amen. We, we've got to have unity because if our hearts aren't right together, we're never going to reach this world out here with the gospel of Christ because we're too busy entertaining our own problems inside the, the house of God. Somebody ought to help me here. 
And most of it is purely a pride issue. You know what James said? He said, from whence come wars and fightings among you? And then, and then he went on and he said, you know, he said, you ask for things and you have not. Can I tell you people that are filled up with pride, they never really get what they want. They're never satisfied. Come on, they're never happy. And, he, and he, then he goes on and he said, listen, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Can I help you with something tonight? We just identified ourselves. We are God's church. Amen. And we're not just here in this place uh, to, to fill a seat tonight. We are here before an almighty, sovereign God of the universe who loved us and gave himself for us and established his church. And we are here tonight. And we better get over ourselves and quit fussing and worrying about everything and trying to have it our way. And we ought to get into the house of God and kneel on our faces before God and humble ourselves. Because God says when you humble yourself, you know what He said He'll do? He will lift you up. By the way, the word humble means to be pressed down. It means to be pressed down. You know what humility is? I wish I had time to preach on it this week. Humility is when Abraham goes up on the mount with his son. Amen? And God says, I want you to take your son, your only son up there. And he says to those that he leaves behind, my son and I are going up here and we're going to worship the Lord and we're going to come back. God records in Hebrews that in his heart of hearts, Abraham committed the very act of taking his son's life. Read Hebrews. Read the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Now listen to me. Can you imagine being put in that position? I have eight grandkids. And three great-grandkids. And every one of them had me wrapped around their little finger. My oldest granddaughter is 26, and she calls me on the phone, and she melts my heart. And then we got the little ones. The littlest one, her name is B, And she's just a little peanut. And I'll call home, and she'll say, Pop, I love you, Pop. Just melts me, Amen. And you know what? I think it's a pretty good church. I've already told you that. I, I kind of like people around here. I've been told they're all weird up here, but I, I think you all may have gotten at least the, the least weird ones in here. Amen? I, you know, I'm just saying. I like this place, and I like you. But I don't like any of you well enough to give any of my grandkids for you. But I'll tell you, Abraham had to humble himself before God and look at me. And know that if he would humble himself in the presence of God, God would take care of everything. Amen? You know what? I I tell preachers, call me and they've got squabbles going on in their church. I said, listen, leave this thing with the Lord and know this. If we'll just let God handle things, God always works it out. Amen? He'll always work it out. Humble themselves. And then he said, what? Pray. I'm not going to go back over prayer. I did a pretty good job of that the other day, didn't I? Talking about getting into the private room, that closet, and closing the door, and sitting a spell with God, and really communicating with God. And God says it's like it's like a perfume coming up into heaven. He's so blessed by hearing us. 
I told you I don't let my kids text my grandkids and kids text me. I don't let them do that. You know why? Because I just want to hear their voice. I called home today on FaceTime. Thank God for FaceTime. That, that, that saves me as a, as a pastor or preacher being away. Getting to see my wife and talk to my grandkids. And my little Gemma was there today. And she's lost all of her front teeth. And she's lost a couple more uh, since I was gone. And she said, hi, Bob. <laughs> what a joy just to, just to hear her little voice. And when I get home, you know what's going to happen? Listen to me. As soon as I walk in that door... My wife's going to call and tell my daughter and the kids behind us that I'm home. And our first one over to the house will be little six-year-old Gemma with her muddy boots from the farm coming to the front door. And she'll bang on the door and she'll walk in where I'm usually by that time sitting in my big chair there about dead from traveling. You know how that was yesterday, right? It's getting brutal. I mean brutal. And she'll come in there and she'll look me in the face and here's what she'll say. Pop! Pop, I'm glad you're home. I came to give you your hug. It just melts my heart. And then she'll just crawl up in my lap and hold me so affectionately. And that's what prayer is, really. It's just getting in the presence of God and holding Him affectionately and letting Him hold us affectionately. Come on. Talking to Him and letting Him talk to us. What a need for prayer. Humble ourselves. Pray. Seek His face. I know that I could go off on that for a while, but I already see the time. Seeking God's face through prayer. Seeking God's face through His Word. Mm -hmm. Reading the Word of God so God can direct our lives through the Word of God. Doing what I talked about when I went over to take my driver's test. Read the manual. (laughs) Just read the manual so you can pass the test. Everything that comes our way, every challenge in the church, listen to me church members, every challenge in the church, every challenge you have with your kids, it's all right in the book. Just let God's Word have His way in your heart. Amen? Oh, seek His face every day. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Hide His word in your heart that you might not sin against God. This book of the law shall not depart out of my out thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. I find that language very interesting, Pastor. He doesn't say, then God will make you prosperous. He said, no, prosperity is already yours. Thou shalt make your way prosperous. Prosperity is in your own hands. God's made the way already. God's already laid out His treasures for us. Amen? We get those treasures when we make ourselves prosperous by doing what God said we ought to do. Amen? Oh, listen to me tonight. Seek His face. And then lastly, turn from our wicked ways. Brother Mark, I know you're in a lot of churches. I don't know if you'd agree with me on this or not, but I suspect you would. If you want that $5 bill, I promise you, you better agree with me. I'm just kidding. It is my belief that the church have had a disconnect 
with the altar. Yes, sir. Now, I have to say, my wife said, are folks responding? I said, Rita, the altars were full Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night. And I keep thinking they're going to dry up because what have these people got left to pray about? There's no disconnect. Huh? Don't dry up. Preacher said, don't dry up. You know, you know what I've seen here? You've been taught to use the altar and, and you're responsive. And I say, amen, amen. But I want to tell you across this country, and you know the generation that I see that response lacking in the most? My generation. And I've even had people come up to me after church and say, well, you know, I just want to tell you, uh, I'm just kind of old and I just can't get up and go to the altar. And I, and I'm, just, I, I'm going to say this, not, I, not for your pity, but there isn't any body part on me that isn't hurt. My right hip is gone. I, I have to have it replaced on December 10th. My right knee is gone. They want to replace it soon after that. There's a doctor looking to do a total reconstruction of my back from the bottom all the way up as soon as I can find time to do that. I had a knee replacement a year and a half ago. I know you have too. And you're out riding a bike and I can't stand people like you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, four days after I had my knee replaced, I was in the pulpit preaching. I said, I'm not letting this take me. But I'm just saying, I heard everywhere. I said to the doctor, if you replace that knee, can I, can I bow? Can I get on my knees? He was a Christian guy. He said, not likely. He said, it's not that the knee won't bend. It's pe most people won't do their exercises like they're supposed to. And so they never get to where they can flex their knee. And he said forever, they're saying, oh, I've had this knee and I can't do anything. Well, they can't do anything because they wouldn't do anything. That's right. So I've got all these things. You want to feel sorry? We can have a pity party after church. <laughs> Sit around. You tell me what's broke on you. I'll tell you what's broke on me. But I want to tell you something. If God calls me to this altar, I'm going to find a way to get there. And I, I, I come to the altar often before church. I'll find my way to the altar and kneel and pray. Does it hurt? Uh, it feels like weirded out because I don't feel my knee too much. And, and there's a lot of nerves that are dead there. But, but I get on them and I, on my knee and I pray. But if I couldn't, I'd get here and I'd cling to the, to the pulpit and I'd, I'd pray to God. If God was moving me to get up and do something about my condition, I'd get up and I'd do something about it. And we're losing that in our churches and it's our older church members. I, I mean, I've been studying this from church to church. It's the older church members. And you know what? We older church members are complaining that our kids are a mess. And I won't say to you they're a mess because we've made them a mess. Yeah. Yeah. And they won't come to the altar because we haven't led them to the altar. Yeah. We need to have an old-fashioned revival where if God speaks, we obey. Amen. We need to identify ourselves, under, accept our identity before God. We need to accept His invitation for revival. And lastly, we need to accept His illumination. Now, I've already talked about the Word of God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but let me just say this. If we don't have a revival of reading the Word of God, 
there will never be a revival in America. Because it is the word of God that gives us direction to know how to find revival. I mentioned to you Sunday in a recent study I did that only 3%, 3% of America's evangelical slash Bible oriented teenagers read their Bible daily. 3%. It's my guess that if only 3% of them read it, only 3% of their parents are reading it. That's just a guess. I know one way to find out. I could just grab a mic and just start walking tonight and say, tell me what you read this morning. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, get away. Have I made my point? What did, you, what did you read this morning? Where were you at in your Bible reading? Did God speak to you out of it this morning? Did God tell you something from your Bible reading that, that's going to help you through the day? Can I just be honest with you? I think the church has stopped reading the Word of God. We've grown up and we've learned how to play church and go through the religious movement. And we can do that without the power of God. And we may be even, as we preacher and I have been talking about, we may even be convinced of what we ought to do. But there's no conviction to get up every morning and open up our Bible and read the Word of God and hide its truths in our heart. And he said, listen, he said, if you You'll read the Word of God. If you'll get it in your heart, then will I establish your throne. I think God is saying to America, when the church is ready to get up and repent of not reading my Word and not listening to my counsel and get right with me, then I'll do something for them. I'll do something for them. The looks are getting even more serious. My preacher friend says America can't have revival. The sky has already fallen. I say to you, we cannot limit the hand of God. But God said, if my people will, I will. So my question for the invitation tonight is, will we? Let's stand to our feet, please.